everybody, what's going on? Rob Sister here with one more preseason piece of Survivor coverage, and it's a good one. It's uh, one of the favorites of the preseason slate, and here with me to talk about all of the character types of a returning player season. Back with me once again, the great Angie Kantz. Angie, how are you? I am so good, Rob. I am really looking forward to this season. I'm very happy to be back here. And uh, you flatter me. We've been we've been doing this for some time now, though, haven't we? I'm pretty sure the first one of these was during Survivor Kagiyan. Yeah, if I it's recall. like right. It might have been in the off season, even. I want to say it was maybe towards the end, but again, I, I don't really <laughs> remember exactly. I think that that the first one I did with you, and I think the first podcast I did with Jason Somerville, were both around the same time, and I might yeah. be getting those transposed. That's amazing. It feels like forever ago. It's amazing. I'm so grateful to have this opportunity. It's really been such a such a wild ride. Okay. Really fun. Well, this is really your system has taken on a, a life of its own where uh, your character types that you have come up with, people throw these terms around. I know that you are working on a bigger uh, project to go through all of the seasons. Angie, That in your wildest dreams, did you imagine where this was all going? I did not. I I honestly thought that uh, people would be insulted by me trying to uh, oversimplify such a beautiful and complex game. And I, I and sometimes I, they are. Um. Oh yeah. There's definitely those people. But I overall <laughs> the uh, the reaction overall the reaction has been so positive. I I honestly wasn't expecting that. I really wasn't expecting that. So yes, it's taken on its own life, and to the point where sometimes. A uh, perfect example was uh, just yesterday because I've, I've been crunching my numbers, working on my returnee spreadsheet, and I'm looking at Gabon, and Gabon has never sat well with me, having uh, having Ken having Kenny as a know-it-all and not as a pony boy has always rubbed me wrong, but I couldn't make the pieces fit. And I suddenly had an epiphany of like, oh my God, I need to reshuffle it like this and it'll all fall into place. And then I suddenly thought, I can't just randomly change these. Like there's websites out there and people have been like building blog articles and like the spreadsheet is the spreadsheet. It's canon now. Yeah. It's, I never saw that coming. Yeah. Wow. So what did you do? I did nothing. I might, <laughs> I might just talk to Sean Falconer about it. And say, uh, it's okay if I make Ace a specialist because then that changes everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, keep us posted on any updates so that we can uh, break out our erasers and uh, update our <laughs> spreadsheets, Angie. So let me just set the table for what we are going to talk about today. So first, we're going to get an update from you on Millennials versus Gen X, how that worked out, any changes that uh, you might have made uh, following how that played out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we're going to talk game changers. And of course, it's always interesting when we bring in the returning players. You and I did this exercise before Survivor Cambodia, where you revealed your returning player system, which you were trying some new things out there. I believe that you have some changes that got put into effect after that season. So we will see how that plays out. And uh, we'll get the full countdown of what the system says the outcome of the season is likely to be. And for the uninitiated, we always have new listeners on the podcast. Angie, could you explain what it is precisely that your system identifies? Absolutely. The system is uh, is a completely arbitrary way of trying to classify player behavior and personality types. So uh, 
it's essentially is trying to identify patterns within the types of people that are cast on the show, put them in categories, analyze their, uh, their game performance and use it as a predictive tool for how the player is going to play in future seasons. So potentially the idea being that a new, a new season could start if I get enough information about a player to understand which category they're supposed to sit in. I could get a, a really potentially accurate read on how they're going to play the season before they before the season even starts. Mm-hmm. And then it will tell us where that type of character is likely to finish based on previous people who match that character type, how they have finished on average. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. I'm trying to focus less on the accuracy of the finish rate because it gives me heart palpitations, but, um, it is, it is in broad strokes. It's relatively accurate predicting whereabouts in the game they're going to finish. Are they going to make it to the merge? Are they going to make top five? Are they going to be first boot? That type of thing. It's, it it can be a little bit eerie in terms of how accurate it is at, at determining that. Okay. So let's go back to last season, millennials versus Gen X. Angie, I don't really recall how the system predicted it was going to play out. Adam was not supposed to win according oh. to the system. So that was the biggest surprise from last season. Um, he's the first pony boy to ever win the game. Congratulations, um, Adam. Making congratulations, history. Congratulations, Adam. Yeah. Um, I think I just, just for the record, because people are always asking me, does, does the character type change because they did this or did that? Um, I th- still do believe he's a pony boy because he has that kind of unconventional just outside of mainstream quality to him. Um, I have noticed there's kind of a trend lately where they're casting more and more highly intelligent players in some of the different character types. You remember Neil Gottlieb was a pony boy as well, and mm-hmm. he was on the Brains tribe. And I do have a theory that it's because of the Brains versus Brawn versus Beauty seasons. I think they're realizing that really smart and really tough players make great TV. And mm-hmm. I, probably I think they're unearthing more of them because they're trying to find them when they're casting those seasons. So they've got a lot more on their you know, potential list that they then cast on other seasons. That's completely me just taking a guess. But um, but I do like the trend, and I'd like to see even more super-duper fans, please. I think that that worked out really well. Break me. What did the system say was going to be the placement for Adam? Adam was going out. I'm trying to think. I had him going out at like 16 or something. Okay. Like really, really early. Ponyboy did not do that well. Not do that well at all. Um and, but and in terms of his personality too and his behavior towards the game, it was very unconventional as well. So what I what I like about these character types is um, often within a certain type, players will there'll be a wide swing between um, actual examples of, of player behavior. So and th- and there's you know there's a couple of those coming up in game changers as well. Where here you have an example of someone who plays a character type in one way, and an example of the same character type that plays it completely differently. And often one is highly successful, and the other one is highly unsuccessful. So it's almost like you take the best qualities of the potential. It's like Nadia being winning as an oh no you didn't. She had all the best possible potential of that character type and really put it to work. And Adam was the same way. So in terms of other people that played according to uh, what their character type was, I think uh, Jessica played exactly as I thought she would. So she was a uh, Meredith Grey, mm-hmm. and she thought she knew more than the people around her. She was very intense. She didn't make good bonds, and she did not have great instincts. The problem is, like, I always I always root for the Meredith Greys, and they always let me down. I fall for it every single time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
It's so disappointing. Well, that's the thing about Meredith Grey, you know, that they're uh, unlucky in love. They sort of like uh, lead with their heart and uh, it never quite works out for them. It never does. And they always look so good on paper. Yeah. Always so good on paper. And you always get so many fans that pick them as their winner pick. And then ultimately it's the same every single time. Okay. Um, I also wanted to uh, mention Michaela. So, of course, obviously, we're going to talk about her more later. But um, you may recall in my, in my podcast from last season that I really struggled with where to put her. Um, and now that her season is done, I am officially calling a do-over on this one because I had said that given her attitude, I would make her a G.I. Jane in a second if I had been able to find any evidence at all to support it in her bio. But I could not prove that she was athletic. There was no mention of sports or any sort of, yeah, there wasn't, or any sort of athletic ability at all. She talked about reading and cuddling and watching TV and stuff like that. And I made her, no, no, you didn't, because I knew she'd have conflicts with people. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you, Figgy. Um, But she is as G.I. Jane as it gets. So basically, she's the girl Ozzy. The girl Ozzy. Wow. Yeah. That's what I was thinking when I was watching it. Like she just is, she's so much of a challenge beast. It is, uh, it's ridiculous. Like she cannot lose okay. um, at challenges. So the moral of the story is to, for me to always trust my gut and henceforth, it shall be called the Michaela factor when my gut tells me to do something completely ridiculous about a player and I can't find the proof. I'm just calling that in. Angie, was there anything else that you saw last season that made you change the way you're looking at anything with your system? No. I mean, the system, other than like continuing the research project to expand the system and make it better, um, there. I think this version of the system has done as much as it as it can do. I mean, it, it beca- it's become more and more evident to me that each character type is highly nuanced and that there are there are behaviors within each one that are successful for that player and unsuccessful for that player. And I really want to get to a place where you can start to track that as the season goes on, episode after episode, and be able to almost graph uh, the potential of that player as, as we're seeing those behaviors unfold. David Wright's a perfect example. You know, like I had him as the social butterfly because he seems so charming and funny. After the first couple of episodes, I thought I had really pooched this one. And then this beautiful butterfly emerged. He was funny and vulnerable and he was gutsy. And, you know, that would have been really interesting to track that that uh, potential really, really sore as that as as the season progressed. I mean, I think that he was a hard one to figure out no matter what your system was to predict. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Um, Ken was the quintessential Mr. Miyagi. I want to go on the record because I know that Penner is the most famous one, but Penner isn't really typical of a Mr. Miyagi. Ken is. He's the most reflective. Yeah. (laughs) He's the most reflective of the character type I think we've ever had. So that's someone who's like warm. He's paternal. He isn't cutthroat. He's not overly strategic, very gentle. Um, he's essentially, he's supposed to be like the counterpart to the mommy dearest. And by that, I mean the nice Don Meehan, Lisa Welchel version of mommy dearest. So he was a really good representation. And so was Hannah, honestly, she was, uh, she played very typically like a Chelsea Handler. She was mm-hmm. quirky and likable. She got in an alliance, but didn't lead it. She made it into the merge. She's, uh, the third Chelsea Handler to make it to the finals and not win. So very, very typical. Angie, are you ready to talk game changers? I can't wait okay. to talk game changers. All right. I freak 
Friggin' love returning seasons. Okay, good. Well, I'm excited to get into this. Now, let's just go back to Cambodia for a little bit. Can you refresh my memory on what your takeaways were in terms of the way that Cambodia played out with the way that you look at these returning player season? Yes, absolutely. What I do for returning seasons is I have a version of the system that has it has far less data in it, but it is still um, it's still a really interesting analysis. What we do is we take out all the new player seasons and we look at only the returnee seasons because the statistics and the probabilities of how the how the players uh, perform radically changes in a returnee system. Okay. So uh, in a returnee season, so essentially players that would normally do extremely well. And, and go post merge and, and, and maybe even into the final five on a returnee season is off, they're often targeted early and things like that. So it really, really changed the outcome. So what I found in Cambodia is when I looked at the system that uh, this way, it was it was it was very accurate. What did the Cambodia system predict for second chances? Did it have Jeremy as the winner? Uh, Jeremy was one of my winner picks that was based on the evidence that I saw in the system. So, yes, I'm going to say that I had three people that had had an asterisk beside them as I, I believe one of those three people would win. And Jeremy was one of them. You also had Wentworth particularly high. That season, yes, if I recall. She was extremely high. She was supposed to finish final five. Yes. OK. Whereas in a normal situation season the siren doesn't do that well in returning seasons they do extremely well okay so it's so stuff like that really can starts to emerge so you well. are feeling a little confident going into a returning player season um I, i'm never confident <laughs> i'm never confident with this stuff um it's uh, there's so much history with so many of these players because now we're getting into like the fourth time out for some of them and there are other people that have barely barely played this game that are suddenly find themselves out there. So I, I think anything could happen. I'm really hesitant to say like, nope, this is the way it's going to be. I, it's always satisfying when things happen the way I said it was going to happen. What I like about returnee seasons is that it's the players who had a mediocre showing the first time that tend to do really well the second time out. Mm-hmm. Like um, I have a system when I, uh, when I bet on horse races and returning seasons kind of reminds me of that. Like I always place two bets, one on the third and fourth place favorites to win play or place because they have better odds uh, and are very li- likely to finish in the top three, but no one's really looking at them. Right. So you always at least break even at the end of the day when you, when, when you bet like that. And I pick my returning survivor, uh, winners the same way. Like the the eyes are not on the winners going into the returning seasons. It's never the obvious choice. And for me, that makes the, the season really entertaining to watch. Now, Angie, I know when you do the new player seasons that you don't duplicate any of the character types that you say, okay, this person is this, this person is this, and there can't be two of the same thing. But in a returning player season where you have uh, two people that were the same thing from a previous season, do you change one of them or you put them both as the character type they originally were? I put them as the character type they originally were. Okay. Usually I don't duplicate in a new in a newcomer season because it is my belief that the goal of the casting department at CBS is to, to create a diverse field. And if I feel two people are the same, then I'm not seeing them for who they really are. Cause I don't believe they would cast two people who are the same on the same season. Okay. So I have to look deeper and say, what am I not seeing? Is this person, um, super, 
uh, intelligent? Are they super athletic? Are they a little bit crazy? Are they a little bit arrogant? Like, what am I not seeing that makes them different from this other person? Did you find that there was one character type that was overly represented this season? G.I. Jane. G.I. Jane. Okay. Yeah. Not what I thought you were going to say. No, there's a, there's a couple of, there's a couple of duplicates, but honestly, I think that makes really good television. Um, Micronesia had a lot of duplicates in it and it was so interesting watching these character types go head to head with themselves. So I think this is going to be very, very similar in that way. I think it's going to be really, really good. It's also interesting that many of these players are coming back because they're coming back for a third or even a fourth time. The stats are partially built off of their own previous performances. So they only have themselves to blame. It's not me, Rob. It's their numbers. So if it says <laughs> that they're going to if they're going to flame out, it's because they already flamed out. Yeah. Right? So the people that are third and fourth time players that you're saying that their previous second and third times respectively are already are in factored there. into the returning players for their archetype. Yes. And if the field is consists of five people, that's significant. Yeah. That means they're seriously <laughs> impacting. Their okay. Well, outcome. that might be good information. I think it is. Maybe that's what makes this, this uh, version of the system super accurate. I don't know. Okay. So let's go through it and you're going to count this down from 20 to one. And now is your countdown based on the character type or based on the person? Um, it's based on the average placement of the character type that the person is in. So in, in places where we have duplicate character types, you'll see a tie for like more than, you know, not, not just that tie, but not tie trying. No, not Tai Trang, although he's in there too. But, okay. Um, so you'll see more than one person that finishes and I'll say, you know, in 15th and 16th are these two players. Okay. And I'm, and I'm basing this on the average placement ranking. So essentially out of all the times that this character type has, has played in a returnee season, where did they place? Then let's average it out based on how many times they played and then look at that, uh, you know, often it's like double decimal points and then we, we just sort it in order. And then we roughly have uh, a predictive order. And then I do the same thing, but with the win rate. And that's a very, it's not radically different, but it is a little bit different. And that's how I predict who the winner is. So the the people that are finishing first, second, and third are not necessarily the winner and the two runners up. That's just their most likely ratio to win. Yes. Yeah. It's the first, second, and third people most likely to, to, to finish the best, like the highest up. Okay. But sometimes the, the winner will be someone that's coming in from seventh who just manages to like grab hold of that alliance and drive it right to the end. That's often what happens. Okay. So it's not everybody's projected finish, but it's their best percentage to finish first. Yes. Okay. And, and this, you know, and, and especially once you get to the top 10, this is the part that, that that's usually roughly correct. Angie, let's get into this. And why don't you start with who the system projects to be the first boot of this season? First boot for this season is our seduce and destroy who is Varner. Mm, okay. What about in Cambodia? Did you also predict that for uh, Survivor Second Chances? Nope. Varner was one of my winner picks. <laughs> okay. Why? <laughs> Why the disconnect here? It's not me. It's the numbers. Yeah. Okay. Well, explain it. Why did the numbers predict him to go far in Cambodia, but not far here? Never before, and this is why his numbers suck, never before has a Seduce and Destroy played a returnee season. Varner was the first. He may be the last. I don't know. So based on his own performance in Survivor yes. Cambodia, 
Yes. That's why the system projects him to go out first. Yes. When you look at all the seasons rolled up together, overall, like when you're not looking at returnee seasons, when you look at all of them, Meredith Grey has the worst performance. But in returnee only analysis, that illustrious spot belongs to Varner. Hmm. So I don't have a problem leaving him here. He's uh, the reason why I chose him as uh, one of the winner picks initially is because I had noticed when I first uh, pulled out all the returnee statistics, I noticed a pattern in that players that had finished around just around the merge or just pre-merge often um, won when they came back in their returnee season. So someone who showed a lot of potential, this is why I was also very high on Wentworth, someone who showed a lot of potential, didn't have the opportunity to show it off, Mm -hmm. but would not, did not do so well on their first season that people are coming in saying, oh, we got to get rid of that. We got to get rid of that guy. Like second, second chances, like Jeremy was not the biggest threat out there, but he was one of my winner picks because I knew he had it in him. And he went out early enough that no one else knew he, he had it in him. Not the same way as they they were targeting other players. Okay, that's that's why I put my little asterisk next to Varner. He's uh, he was a bit of a spaz out there, so I I don't know if he's going to be able to clean that up or not. We'll see. That's what the system says, but in terms of your read on the situation yourself. Do you agree with that assessment that the system spit out? No, I don't think Varner's going first. However. However, Varner's one of those old old school players that straddled a number of different character types. Like the first three seasons of Survivor are very sketchy in terms of the system. So he's like part seduce and destroy, part Heisenberg, part social butterfly. And honestly, if he weren't so socially capable, I'd make him a Heisenberg for sure now that he's older. So the fact that Varner, Troyzan, and Tony are all on the same tribe is going to be like super, super intense and I just I don't think the three of them are going to get along at all. And I think I don't think he's going to be the first boot, but I don't think he's going to have an easy time of it. I think I think a a lot of the the guys out there are going to they're just going to start going after each other fairly early. Let's go to number 19 on the list. Angie, Uh, who do you have as the second boot, the second person most likely to go home in the two hour premiere? Okay, this one I think you'll have less problem with. It's our true grit. Brad Culpepper. Okay, Brad Culpepper out number two, according yeah. to the system. Why yeah. is that? Why are the True Grits not doing well in these returning player seasons? Um, Tom got targeted early. Terry left due to illness from his son. Um, Culpepper didn't do well enough in Blood versus Water to make him a, a really huge target, so he may make it to the merge, but um, generally, I mean, the, the True Grit players are really alphas, and I think Brad's issue will be that he has to be in charge, but he has he, he won't have enough people to bro down with on his tribe. Um, really, Ozzy and JT are it. And let's face it, they aren't going to let him drive. And I think he's going to struggle out there, probably go home early because his people's skills are not going to be great. Okay. Like, I'm going to go ahead and say, if people told you to go after yourself on your first season, your social game is a liability that you maybe can't fix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you buy anything or does the system have any way to account for that he played in a half and half season last time? Does that affect anything? It does screw with my numbers, actually, because uh, Sierra played in the half and half and she was a newbie. So technically her stats aren't even included in this, which screws everything up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean anecdotally it, you, we could kind of look at that and, and and say he he would have done better had he not been there with uh, with people that that knew what they were doing but this is like this is that 10 times worse like they are just they are swimming with sharks now they are just these guys are in way over their heads Jeff Varner number 20 19 
Brad uh, as the true grit. Mm-hmm. Is there another true grit on this season? There is not. Okay. All right. So, Angie, who do you have at number 18? Number 18 is Ty. Ty? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I can't believe this, Angie. This is yep. uh, uh, this is unfathomable. Oh, no, no. <laughs> okay, so what character type is Ty? Ty is a Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that's a bit on the nose because he's a Buddhist and he's such a sweet guy, not because he's uh, doing karate with anyone. Right. Um, Previously, previous Mr. Miyagi's that have come back on uh, returning seasons are Vetus and Penner, who did not do so well. So that's why he's so low down. Yeah. It's not his fault. It's let's all just blame Vetus. Right. Well, don't blame him too much, Angie, that he is going to be <laughs> my guest on Thursday when we recap the premiere. That will be very good. I uh, I think he'll have very good insight about uh, the heartbreak of whoever had like someone has to go home first. And it's usually so like. It's so arbitrary. It's it sucks. It sucks to have so much investment in these in these seasons to go back and then to to be gone the first uh, two or three people. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping it's someone that we don't like, so we won't we, we won't all be crying. I was uh, I was upset that Vetus went home so early for sure. Because Penner, Vetus, and Ty, uh, I mean, to lump them all in in one group, I don't know if they have a ton in common. It sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. I know, but if you if you look at it. Um, from a perspective of Vetus was the one trying to do yoga with everyone, trying to like appeal to people on a psychological level. Penner was doing that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Ty lets himself be very vulnerable and talk to people on a, on a real level about his, his spirituality, his beliefs. If you compare that to someone like Culpepper, do they do they still look that different? Uh, I guess as an opposite of Brad Culpepper, uh, that they could be similar, but I think that the thing with Vetus was that uh, his reputation was so intimidating where I don't know if that's Ty's issue. Now, Ty, to be fair, almost got voted out early based on how he was screwing things up in the first couple of days in Survivor Call Wrong. So it's not the craziest thing in the world. No, it is not. Ty actually really surprised me in his season. Like he had a mean streak I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Do you remember? I was sitting I was sitting in a podcast with you where we both said anyone who takes Ty to the end will lose to him. And then somewhere in there, Dark Ty emerged, and he became it became unwinnable for him at the end. Was it Dark Ty or was it Wishy Washy Ty? Uh, it was both. <laughs> it was both. Like it was untrustworthy Wishy Washy Ty. Yeah. You know, and you know, screwing around with the camp in the middle of the night, pouring water on things. A Dark Ty. You know, um, but I don't. I'm confused a little bit by the timeline of when exactly things happen. Like. Because I, I try not to, I try not to research this stuff because I'm really, really, I really don't want any spoilers ever. So I, I don't know. Will these players know enough of his, of his season to know that he's not trustworthy? Yes. Like how much did they see beforehand? Well, they all went to the finale because you have four people from Korong. So they left like about I think a, a week to a week and a half after the Korong finale. Okay. So it should be very fresh in their minds. Okay, so that's going to work against him, right? You would think that that part of his personality would not be an asset. But, you know, people might feel like, oh, he's likable. He was fun. So you don't really know how people are going to interpret things. I mean, you have Beast Mode Cowboy out there talking about how, you know, oh, well, Tony's not a game changer. Sandra's not a game changer. What did they do? So you don't know how anybody (laughs) is really looking at the data that's out there and interpreting it for themselves. Well, 
Beast Mode didn't, he's the guy who didn't read the book and tries to write the exam, right? So I, that's, what's that based on? Nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, one so. of these days we got to figure out uh, who was uh, in his ear, uh, like giving him scouting reports on people. <laughs> the gross negligence. That's got to, well, it must have been, no, it wouldn't be. I was going to say, it must have been Derek, right? But no. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think they're buds. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're buds anymore. Yeah. But uh, but I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you suppose Aubrey is saying about Ty's game to the other people out there? Is she like, Ty's a good guy, I've got Ty, or don't trust Ty, he will flip on you? I don't think that she's necessarily doing character assassination, but I think that coming away from Korong, I think she might be a little bit like, yeah, Ty is good. He's nice. But, you know, the thing about Ty, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's like one of those things. If you're a chicken, you're in good shape. But other than that, I wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't trust. Wouldn't trust Ty. OK. So and traditionally, this character type doesn't make good alliances on returning seasons, which is kind of interesting. They go out early like. I don't know, like Vetus didn't seem very solid. I mean, granted, he didn't have a lot of time to get solid. And Penner was having trouble finding his feet mm-hmm. in Micronesia as well. So um, Ty is definitely going to be more th- more non-threatening than those two, because I think both Vetus and Penner really had a lot of uh, a lot of weight behind them when they came in and that worked against them. So okay. that, that means like worst case that, you know, best case, he's cannon fodder then because they're just they're not even really considering him as anything i think he'll be around for a while ty this season you think i do think so you know he's good in the challenges and so i don't think he's going to get voted out early for challenge performance and as long as he doesn't try to get too sneaky and from what i understand when i spoke to him before he left hey don't try to be too sneaky and he says to me you know that's what everybody tells me if he could follow that advice, then I think then he will be fine for a bit. Yeah, like don't go looking for the idol. Just don't do that. Right. You know, and so, then he might be all right. Just be fun. Just be nice, Ty. <laughs> well, he is fun. He was really fun to watch. So I hope he is around for a little while. And, uh, you know, we got to we got to really see that 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 Caleb Ty reunion, too. That's going to be awesome. All right. So who do you have at number 17? So number 17 is our Meredith Gray. And okay. that is Sarah Lucina. All right. Sarah Lucina as the Meredith Gray. All right. Yeah. Why is the system not liking her chances? Well, traditionally, Meredith Gray does extremely poorly in both the new player seasons as well as the returnee seasons. Um, they don't make good connections. They overthink everything. They play too aggressively uh, w- without the social capital to back up their moves. At best, they are insignificant players, and at worst, they're kind of grating and annoying. So Sarah, um, she does have really good cop instincts going for her, but that's pretty much it. And um, in my in my mind, she came across as a as a little bit entitled to me in her first time out, and now she's she's in with. Um, players like potentially she's in way over her depth and and I I just don't see her making good bonds and going far this season. Okay. Is that harsh or are you roughly got the same read on Sarah? It's interesting to see how it plays out. I I've noticed that going back to second chances that I feel like athletic women tend to be around for a while. So I'd be surprised if she went out this early, but there's so many other players in the game that have, you know, more experience than she does. And the way that she went out in the last game was so rough. I, I can't imagine a deep run, but I feel like that she makes it to at least the same spot she got to last time. I'd be shocked if she made it that far. Honestly. Oh, wow. Okay. But, but we'll see. 
We will. Okay. Uh, Sarah Lucine is 17. All right. Who's 16? Okay. This is our first tie. So our first... No, uh, tie was two ago, Angie. We're <laughs> on to 16. I need a new pseudonym for that. So yeah, the first group of people that are more than one of the same character type is... So in uh, in place in 15th and 16th place, we have our Chelsea Handlers. And this season, that is Aubrey and Sierra. Okay. Now, which Sierra? Sierra Easton. So the previous, just to remind everyone, previous Chelsea Handlers from uh, returnee seasons are Shireen, Sierra, the, the last time she played, uh, Corinne, Courtney Yates, and Jerry. Yeah. So Aubrey and Sierra are very different players. So Aubrey is more of a thinker and Sierra is a doer. Aubrey second guesses herself. Sierra makes big decisions very quickly, but she sticks to them. So traditionally, this character type does not do very well in returnee seasons. They've only made it to the top five twice. That was Jerry and Sierra her first time out. Um, And keep in mind, Sierra's first season results aren't even tabulated Mm -hmm. um, in the returnee season stats because she was a newbie in Blood versus Water. So she did extremely well for herself her first time out. Okay. So even if I counted it, just to be fair, it would only bump these ladies up one place. <laughs> so that would they would be at like thirteen, fourteen instead of fifteen, sixty. So um, I, I, I've been trying to think like why they don't do well the second time. Um, I think they just have too much to prove to themselves in the world, and generally they're good players to have in your alliance. They're smart. They're easy to bond with and relatively loyal, um, but. They just uh, they just flame out. They just flame out, and they're and they're when they come back. And I don't I'm I don't know what it is about them that they're doing wrong. Like I, I was really thinking about it today. Like I'm, I'm looking at like Shireen, Corinne, Courtney, Jerry, in 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 all those times they came back. They just didn't they just didn't have that final push to get them to themselves to the next level. They had they had connections. They had alliances. They just all seemed to fall apart. They just weren't everybody's main core alliance. I guess. So I expect both these both these ladies to be gone pre-merge, honestly. Those players that are in this character type, you know, are so different. You know, you have people that went out for, you know, different reasons. Uh, somebody like Shireen because of being a strategic threat. Um, you know, ultimately, Jerry goes out in Heroes versus Villains because uh, she could potentially win if she got to the final tribal council uh you know courtney just uh goes out with like flip a coin between her and sandra it is a lot of personality in this character type and so that's hard to bottle up for 39 days it is and i was gonna say for people that are new to this uh to this podcast and this system the chelsea handlers tend to get cast for what's in their head um not to say that they aren't very attractive women because they are, but as a rule, they're not being cast for how they look in a bikini. They're being cast because they're smart. They're usually very sassy, very witty, like people like Corinne Kaplan is the quintessential Chelsea Handler, uh, Aaron Lobdell, um, talking about coach actually being an accountant from Nebraska surprise. Like it's just funny, funny, funny women that are also, able to kind of sit back, give really good confessionals and really think through the game in a really smart and sophisticated way. Um, but as such, I think they're seen as kind of outsiders. Like Shireen was always struggling to get in with those kind of, um, you know, the, the Haley Fords and the Jen Browns mm-hmm. of the game. So I, I think that that works against them. I I don't know what to tell you. They're my, they're, they're one of my favorite character types, but they, uh, they don't always do so well. 
Do you split the tie in any way? Do you have one at 16 and one at 15 or you just say they're both 15? Um, I've, going to say they're both 50. And I don't want to say that I think one's, well, how can I possibly say one's going to do better than the other? Maybe Sierra, because she has more experience. Okay. How's that? Sounds good to me. All right. So then let's go skipping ahead to number 14. Okay. So this is another tie, 13 and 14. I have no problem splitting this and saying who's going to do better than the other. This is our Heisenberg. So that's Tony and Troyzan. Okay. So these are two great examples of a successful version of a character type <laughs> and, and an unsuccessful version. Right? So how are they different? So Troyzan, um, well, first of all, the character type in itself is usually an older man that is extremely intelligent, very intense, very aggressive. Idols, idols lie down for him like lovers. Yes. Wow. So Troyzan uh, tried to make moves without having the numbers behind him. He was combative instead of ingratiating himself to the power alliance. He wasn't able to outmaneuver Kim. Tony, on the other hand, was five steps ahead of everyone at all times. His mind never stopped working. He was always able to find the numbers, even if he just borrowed them like a library book and returned them the next day. He <laughs> had those numbers, right? <laughs> Good call. Um, like Russell, um, who is really like the, the perfect example of the, of the Heisenberg is Russell Hans. So Troyzan, like Russell, is a sucker for pretty face. Mm -hmm. Tony, none of that crap. He is all business. So Troyzan, I'm, I'm wondering if Troyzan will be hesitant to believe in the girls this time. And we'll, we'll try and bro down at all costs. I don't know. Tony's going to be concerned because now he's got this rep to protect. So that might bite him in the butt if he's worrying too much about that. Angie, is it possible that we might have a bad read on Troyzan? In what way? Well, he was on a men versus women season. The two things that you said is that, you know, he's a sucker for a pretty face. And I don't think that he was really... Uh, getting involved in any sort of a flirtmance or anybody sort of like duped him in terms of flirtation. And then also that by way of that he started on a tribe of all men, he did swap to a tribe with women. He wanted to work with a woman. And then, you know, Kim didn't want to ultimately go in that direction. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything, I don't think it's anything against him. I don't think he was saying that he, that he wasn't open to working with women. Mm. I think, I think, he, among many others, fell for the the power of Kim's blue eyes and in, in that she's very, very believable. She's a fantastic liar. Um, and I think this time around, he's going to be very nervous trusting anything that comes out of a pretty girl's mouth. That's all I'm saying. All right. And then Tony, the Heisenberg, uh, I mean, 13th place for Tony. I think a lot of people would sign right now on the dotted line for 13th place for Tony. Really? I mean, that you see these first boot questions that Dalton Ross is asking people and uh, what, like seven or eight people say, Tony's got to go first. Yeah, but actually making that happen. Yes. Well, having, good luck. Having, having the guts to make that happen against someone who can hustle like Tony. That's a very different thing. Yes. Very different thing. Um, having, you know, having the, these two intense guys plus Varner on the same tribe is going to be insane, too. Like Tony is very good at this game. He understands how to hustle and get it done. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know anyone. Is, I think anyone on his tribe is going to be terrified to say, we got to get Tony first, first, the first weekend. Cause mm -hmm. that's going to be very, very dangerous. Cause Tony's going to go after you very, very singly. If you do that. And I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't know if that's such a smart move. I mean, what a meat shield to have. 
Are you bullish on Tony? I think he's I think he's going to be around for a little while. Good. I do. I do. And I honestly, Tony and Sandra are going to be circling each other from the beginning, which will give the other players a lot, a lot of cover. I think they'd be dumb to go after those two early because no one's going after you as long as those two are there, like staring each other down. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. And I think Sandra is smart enough not to target Tony noticeably from the beginning. Tony, however might be vocal against Sandra early on, and that could cost him the game. Like, she is going to call his spy shack stupid, and he won't even be able to help himself. (laughs) Yeah, they need each other. And also, Sandra is extremely good at feeding people's paranoia, and Tony is the most paranoid guy out there. (laughs) She's going to have him, like, eating his own skin. Just watch. Yeah. That was one of the things in my re-listen of the TEOS chapter 20 of that Sandra really got Russell worked (laughs) up uh, about Coach. Yeah, she planted that Sandra seed and Russell is has that as well where you know yeah. he's like uh, like hey Russell I heard this person's coming to me. what what I'll, I'll get I'll get him who do they think yeah. they are yeah it's like Tony I just wanted you to know because <laughs> I want to be your friend yeah no he's he's really in big trouble he uh he would he would fall for that hook line and sinker I think it's very exciting okay and and Heisenberg's honestly they do not do well in returning seasons yeah um and it's not, and it's not just, uh, it's not just Russell. It's Jervis. It's Randy. It's Fairplay. Lex Hatch. All these guys crashed and burned. So. Jervis is Heisenberg. He is. Remember what I said about the early seasons and how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like they were just figuring themselves out. So okay. Um, and honestly, I don't think the other players are going to get are going to let Tony get anywhere near that money. And Troy Zan, I don't think has the chops to go against a field this strong. You know, and and you know Kim was extraordinary but there are a lot of kims out there this time around so he's he's in big trouble i think angie who do you have at number 12 all right this is a three-way tie three-way tie okay so this is 12 11 and 10 yes and this is our gi jane okay so this is michaela sierra don thomas and andrea okay so this character type really does not do well in a returnee season so the best uh the best finish for gi jane in a returnee season was seventh and i think the problem is that they get Invited back for exactly the reason we're seeing Michaela come back in that they show themselves uh, to be very strong in their first season, but they have a a, a pretty big target their second time out. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Andrea was seen as a pretty big threat in Caramoan, and that will likely happen again, as was Stephanie and even Wigglesworth in uh, Cambodia. Yeah, I mean, the only exception to this rule is uh, FFSDT, mm-hmm. fan favorite Sierra Don Thomas. Yes. Yeah, because I think in her season, I mean, in her season, I think she did have a little more to show us. So hopefully she will lean more to the Wentworth side of, holy shit, I did not see that coming. <laughs> but but I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't, that was a terrible Negan. I wouldn't be surprised if she tried to make a more uh, more aggressive game this season. But let's see if anything. Uh, I thought it was Dan that. Foley. No, that was my Negan. <laughs> Boys get all the best impersonations. It's not fair. <laughs> My voice is too high to do Negan. <laughs> All right. So what is the issue here that people see women winning challenges after the merge and they uh, feel like that's a red flag and want to get rid of them? So, yeah, the same way they go after Joe. Like, I don't think it's I don't think it's particularly based on gender. It's just if you're if you're very athletic and you're also um, you've also got a social game like someone like uh, like Andrea, you see that as, as something that's a threat and you want to get them out okay. before they get to the end. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michaela, I think, is in big trouble because no one knows who she is. 
So, I mean, if, if she's smart, she'll tell her tribe I was good at challenges and that's why I'm back. And then she'll be able to back up that story by her performance and challenges, but not having any relationships is really going to hurt her. I think, but I'm, I'm hoping that Malcolm will scoop her up because he was in exactly the same position and he knows what an asset that kind of free agent player can be, but we'll, we'll see. Um, I think at least one of these women is making the merge, but that's about it. So Michaela, Sierra Don Thomas, Andrea, one of them is making the merge. I'd sign on for that. I mean, I don't think that's yeah. too outlandish. What's interesting to note when we discuss uh, the three women at this level of the care is that the, the character types that finish, um, on average, in the top 10 in returning season, seven of them are women, which is interesting because the, the winners are split evenly um, three and three. But on average, women do better in returning seasons. All right, Angie. Now, forget the system. Gun to your head. <laughs> what? What? Michaela, Sierra Don Thomas, Andrea. Yeah. Okay. You want your horse race. Who's going the furthest out of these three? Andrea. Andrea. Okay. Yeah. I think she's too much of a threat. I would agree she's the biggest threat out of the three of them. Maybe maybe I'm just projecting, but I have this I have this vision that the people playing this game, the people like Sari, the people like Malcolm are going to want people that know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that you don't want unpredictable new people you haven't played with. Um like Sierra didn't make um game-winning choices in her season. Yeah. You know, she played she played a very stable, very loyal game. And maybe that's why people would want to keep her around. I don't know. Um, I would rather have someone um, like someone like Zeke, for example, is very um, he's a huge threat in my mind. But at the same time, he he knows the game so well and he's just so he's so damn logical. You'd be able to put a case to him and, and convince him and he would agree. And then your alliance could make a group decision. I would want people that were all working together and all strategizing together to win it amongst a very difficult field. So I think Andrea is going to be that kind of go-to person for a lot of these people. And she's incredibly charming. I mean, my God, she's so, she's so beautiful. She's really interesting to be around. I think, I think she stays around just for her, her ability to, to really have people eating out of her hand. I hope so. I'd have her third on this list. And I think I would have Michaela too. And I would have Sierra Dawn Thomas, number one. Um, I would not, that's not crazy talk. That's not crazy talk. I think Michaela's going to struggle. I will really love her. I really hope that she gets gets deep in the game, but she doesn't know anybody. They don't know her. She's a little punchy, you know, so we'll, we'll see. All right, Angie, we're halfway through the list here. We've got our top nine left to go, but let me just take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. And those are our friends over at Movement Watches, MVMT Watches. They pronounce it movement. Uh, they were founded on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank. I know that that has been a long-held belief of myself. I don't know where you stand on this issue, Angie. I'm all about cheap style. Cheap style. Well, the <laughs> inexpensive style, Angie, because movement watches uh, start at just $95 at mvmtwatches.com. At a department store, forget about it. You're looking at $400, $500 for a watch. But Movement figured out that by selling online, they were able to cut out the middleman, go direct to the consumer, get the markup, forget mark the chicken, mark up, 
and get the best possible price. They've got classic designs, quality construction, and stylized minimalism, uh, which is what I aim for in all aspects of my life. Uh, My movement watch, Angie, is actually waterproof, so I could actually go to the beach and practice all of my water challenges with a movement watch. I would like to see you actually do that. Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, Really attractive watches. Uh, Go check them out at movementwatchesmvmtwatches.com. Get 15% off with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmtwatches.com slash RHAP. The watches all have a really clean design that you're going to really like how they look. Now's the time to step up your watch game. Uh, Be a watch game changer. Go to mvmtwatches.com slash RHAP to join the movement. All right, Angie, let's get to number nine here on your list. And who do you have in the ninth spot? Number nine belongs to our surfer dude, who is Ozzy. 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 Yeah. So previous surfer dudes include Wu, Joe, Aris, Tyson, Ethan, and Ozzy. So he's one of these uh, that is setting his own pace in terms of the stats and how he's going to do. Okay. So now the surfer dudes in the first time seasons, uh, you have them doing well. Uh Uh-huh. Almost guaranteed to go top seven in a first time. Uh, season. But not as much um, on the return trip. Right in the middle of the pack. Tyson is the only surfer dude to get to the top five in a returning season. So the reason is um, many of them are seen as big physical threats if they're good enough to come back. So um, other players know that once it goes to an individual immunity game, the, the athleticism of the surfer dudes makes them totally unbeatable. So Tyson played down his athleticism really, really well. Um, he he won very few of any challenges in his uh, blood versus water season. So that was that was a really smart way for him to go. I mean, for me, in terms of his uh, his athleticism, the question is, will Ozzy show up in a fat suit? <laughs> right. Like we yeah. discussed this on our very first podcast, Rob. I don't know if you remember. We wondered if Ozzy is still a surfer dude when he comes back in his late 30s and can't like swan dive off the coconut tree anymore. Yeah. Personally, I say once a dude, always a dude, but um, he'll never be like he's not going to be as nearly as agile as he once was. But I also consider that, you know, Ozzy performing at a seven is like everyone else's 10. So I think he's still going to be seen as, as a pretty threatening, awesome character. I think that Ozzy is not going to be like that he's fallen off so much. The Colby thing is really bizarre. And I think that that probably has more to do with his heart not being in it. I don't think that we're going to see Ozzy this season and it's going to be like some washed up athlete at the end of his career. Honestly, I rewatched Australia not too long ago and I was horrified at how poorly Colby performed in his very first season. I thought he was like this god, this like Thor-like character no, that could. It was be, a weak you know. field. I mean, it the people he was going up against were Tina, with all due respect, who could probably uh, beat me in most athletic competitions. But yeah. he's going up against you know Tina, Keith, Famey, Amber, yeah. uh, you know uh, Kentucky Joe. Elizabeth and Hasselbeck. Let's be honest, their version of a uh, endurance challenge back in the day yeah. was something that you know would take five days to complete. Now you know mm-hmm. because they no one's letting go, no one's stopping. Right. right. 
Right. So no, I think it was our, a misperception of greatness. I don't think he changed at all. I think we changed, Rob. We changed. We changed. So yeah, Colby did great. He looked the part, but the you know it was a little bit of like uh, Kramer doing karate against the ten uh, year olds. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a karate, I should say. But um, so Ozzy's downfall, um, what's going to mess him up? I mean, traditionally, his downfall has been a little bit of arrogance and uh, women, honestly. Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't bond with others sometimes because he, he's inclined to think he knows best. And um, sometimes he might, th you know. Sometimes he thinks with other parts of his body. So I suspect Andrea will have him as her new Eddie Fox very, very early on. Mm -hmm. And and I have this, uh, I, I imagine that Sari and Andrea are going to bond over this and that Sari will encourage that strategy and be all like, if he wants to flirt, let him flirt. So wow. I, I know that Ozian is not besties with Sari. So hopefully he doesn't try and tar target her too soon because uh I like the same, the same reason as targeting Tony too early. I'm not sure if I see that going well for anybody that goes after her too, too early on. Cause yeah. that's going to be the thing that she's most prepared for. Right? I will say that Ozzy in his Dalton Ross, uh, who'd you out first? Uh, he did say Suri and he said, uh, for payback. Yeah. Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> so don't do it. Ozzy. Don't do it. Okay. System says ninth for Ozzy. You got Ozzy yeah. higher or lower than ninth personally. Uh, uh, Maybe lower. Lower. I'd yeah. have him higher. Really? Yeah. Wow. I think everybody's low on Ozzy. Again, if this was the stock market, I would buy Ozzy based on people's <laughs> perceptions. Ozzy. That people are, are, I think, too down on Ozzy. Yes, he did get voted out three times in the last time he played. But if you look at where he ultimately gets to, you know, he's making a, a pretty deep run into every single one of his seasons, uh, with the exception of fans versus favorites, where it takes a, a pretty good blindside and they have to get him at that particular moment or he's going to go pretty far into the game. So uh, everybody's betting against Ozzy. I think he goes pretty far. Here's my prediction with Ozzy. If he does manage to get up there. I think he'll do well for himself and maybe even get to the finals if he gets into like the, the, the top five. I think the only shot he really has is if um, the people he, he could potentially pull a, a Michelle if if he is just more likable than the person who really pissed everybody off that's sitting beside him, mm -hmm. then he might be OK. I just can't see him having the resume at the end. You know, he's just he doesn't have that kind of. Um, strategic mind to be able to build up enough to convince a jury at the end that that he deserves it number eight number eight is our know-it-all know-it-all so that is zeke okay so there uh our previous know-it-alls are rob yao man cochran spencer and fishback so sorry uh, i screwed it, this up for you zeke yeah you um the stats the stats were influenced by by all of those performances it wasn't just it wasn't just you buddy so there are two kinds of know-it-alls the socially challenged know-it-all and the rest of you so uh, the know-it-alls who are personable and good at establishing bonds and make people laugh only one in history did not come into the game as a huge threat and that was cochran mm -hmm. so while zeke has the disadvantage of no one knowing him and therefore no one trusting him he does have the advantage of no one thinking they need to get rid of him as soon as possible because he'll win if they don't and we do not want zeke to get sesternino'd mm, no right 
It's not fun. I'm very, no, I'm very fond of Zeke's. And, um, you know, no offense to Adam because he played a very strong game, but I was heartbroken that neither Zeke nor David won last season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he knows the game extremely well. He's a fan of RHAP. So, hi, Zeke. And he's very uh, he's very learned without coming across as condescending, which is critical mm-hmm. for a know-it-all, yeah. I think. Um, he's also a football fan, which maybe will help him bomb with Culpepper. He might do okay. But you know who I think is going to drive him nuts is Debbie. <laughs> I don't know why. I just think Debbie, he's just going to be like instant migraine. Like, I cannot tolerate this woman. I don't know. I think that'll be funny to watch. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, who the closest to Debbie in Korong was. I don't remember that Zeke was annoyed with anybody that was out there. I think that he can sort of compartmentalize that. So I don't know how much she's going to drive him crazy. I just, I think he's a very reasonable person. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a very intelligent person. And I think those are the people that are going to be put off by Debbie's stories and Debbie talking about how smart she is and acting like she's the most reasonable person out there. I I don't know why. Again, it's my gut. I'm calling in the Michaela factor right now. Zeke isn't going to like Debbie. Okay. Okay. All right. Call in your shot. (laughs) Zeke will not like Debbie. Are we ready for number seven? Yes. It's a really good segue because it's Debbie. It's our tough old broad. De- oh, Debbie and Zika back to back? Oh, you're asking they for trouble are. now. Okay. They, they are. So full disclosure, Debbie came so close to being moved to Crazy Cat Lady. Like really close. <laughs> I have internal I didn't even know that was a thing. Daily with myself. Yes. Yeah, That's the archetype? Seen... Crazy Cat Lady? Who was the last Crazy yeah. Cat Lady? Uh, it hasn't been for a while because they are not very well received. They go out super, super early. Yeah. So, okay. Let me just give you some examples of the crazy cat lady. If you think of like Timbertina, mm. that's uh, okay. So hang on. The last one I had Laura Bonham as a crazy cat lady. Okay. Holly Hoffman, Shambo. Yeah. Uh, Jillian, Kathy Sleckman, Denise Martin, Lisi. These are all crazy cat ladies. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Wanda. Woo. Yeah. All right. Wow. <laughs> Wanda. So. Um, yeah, she came very, very close to that because, um, that is the mirror reflection of the specialist. She herself says she's most like coach and, uh, she was called a crazy cat lady by, um, one of the, uh, one of her castmates by Peter. I'm like, guy, I already forgot. Yeah. So <laughs> don't forget he was a rumored, uh, <laughs> cast member of this season. Oh my God. Really? Remember? <laughs> oh my God. That would be, oh, that's right. Holy crap with that. Yeah, that would not have been good. Yeah, that game changer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Debbie, uh, you have her at seven. That's pretty good for Debbie. It is. I was just thinking, I was like a spin the bottle game that choosing some of these game changers. You're like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, ultimately, um, I think she's in really good physical shape and she's very, very intelligent, even if she is wackadoo. So I kept her as the Teffel broad for that reason. Yeah. So because she's so new to the scene, I think, again, she's going to struggle because of uh, because of the newness and not having that uh, that history with these people. Um, it's not exactly a hot take that all the newbies are going to have trouble. Um, but I think as soon as there is a merge. Um, when you say the newbies, you mean the co-wrong people or the second time players? <laughs> Um, the people that have played in very recent seasons. Okay. So the Korong people, the millennials versus Gen X people, the people that are just relatively new to the field. Yeah. Got it. Um, I think as soon as there's a merger or a swap, she's going to trigger all of Malcolm's Philip trauma mm-hmm. and he's going to want her gone as well. 
Um, but as long as she can hold herself in challenges and doing really well in puzzles, maybe everything will just be tickety-boo and maybe she can make the merge. Tickety-boo? Tickety-boo. Maybe she'll just be tickety-boo. The system has Debbie at seventh. Are you uh, higher or lower than seven for Debbie? I really was high on Debbie when we podcasted during that season. Um, You were one of the people in on the Debbie Wanner winner edit. Yeah, I thought she like she was doing extremely well. I really liked her. I really liked her approach. She she got a little weaker for me after that. Um, Sure. But ultimately, I think she's got some really strong chops. Um, If this were if this were like a fans versus favorite season, I would be much higher. The fact that we've got so many players in here that are so good. I just I, I worry for for Debbie. I think she's got some potential here, but I think getting even to seventh with these particular players is going to be really tough for her. I feel like she's coming into this season pretty salty. I mean, she's like the one person in the pregame interviews that's like being a real negative Nancy about everybody. Yeah. She seems like she really does not like this cast. I think she feels a little bit in you know, a little bit outnumbered, a little bit out outgunned, and she's coming out fighting because that's what yeah, she might have forgot to bring her social game this season. Yeah, I think so. I don't too. know. I'm I'm down on Debbie. I think that I'm <laughs> call me Debbie Downer. <laughs> I remember her preseason. I remember her preseason stuff. Her talking about like her family life being a little tumultuous and stuff, and that you know, not to get too psychological, but generally people that are are, are a little bit broken tend to get super aggressive if they feel threatened. Boy, you're, you're getting so, to be a real Debbie Downer now. I'm sorry. I do. I do. Debbie Downer. <laughs> I do really adore Debbie. I hope she does okay. But uh, <laughs> uh, really, I mean, the Tuffle Broad has never won in a returning season. Okay. And so I don't I think don't... this will be the first time out. No. Okay. No. All right. All right. Top number six. six. Top ready? six, baby. Top six. And number six is our John McClain, who is Malcolm. Okay, Malcolm. And you're singing about Malcolm. I, I like Malcolm. So John McClane. That's so unusual re- about that you that you must be the one person that likes Malcolm. <laughs> John McClane does really well in returnee seasons. Mm-hmm. So they get they get along really well with men and women. They are strong players while never uh, they don't come across as being the most threatening. So they're physically very capable and very likable. So this is the reason why I'm excited about Malcolm's return is because this is really his first shot in a returnee season. I don't count. Karamoan because no one knew him. No one had any idea who he was. He wasn't in any alliances. Why would you bond with someone and trust someone that you don't know? So um, now he has more bonds. He has a bit of a reputation. Players know that he's a bit of a maverick, but that he understands the game. He's fun. He's trustworthy. He's intelligent. Most important, he will always drop the plate. So I think he's in a in a really good spot. This. What do you mean he'll always season. drop the plate? It's got the shaky hand thing. Oh, okay. When the when the when the pressure's on, I didn't on, know if that gonna, was a euphemism. Well, it's a it's an analogy, I suppose, but. <laughs> <laughs> we can make it a euphemism. Okay. Yeah, because the thing he was yeah. holding was more of like a stick than a plate. It was like a, it was, wasn't it like a dishes challenge? No, that's a, a, he didn't do that one. He was or... doing, he had to hold like uh, pieces of like a stick and then there were like ball bearings on top of the stick. It was painful to watch. The shaky hand was painful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, he is on a tribe with all the aggressive males. So that scares the crap out of me. So what you think that they'll uh, be coming for him? 
Tony went after LJ and LJ didn't even strike me as that big of a threat. So, I mean, if Tony decides to target him, he could be in really big trouble, mm. but I think he will get along well with the girls. I think he'll, he'll have a good rapport with the, with Haley and Sierra, Aubrey, Michaela, maybe even Caleb, not to throw him in with the girls, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he just needs to make the swap. Um, and he might be, and then he'll be okay. Um, I'm curious to see what Malcolm and Sandra are going to do with each other. They may, they may really hit it off. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be a fun relationship to watch uh, during this season. I think Malcolm is wary of Sandra based on the preseason interviews. I think everyone should be wary of Sandra, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. You want her on, you want her on your side. That's what I would make of Sandra. So Malcolm's smart enough to know, to be able to assess everyone really, really well, I think. So Malcolm at six, I think this would be a tough one to go higher or lower than for Malcolm at six. I mean, I think that the odds have to say you go lower than Malcolm at six, but I think that he's probably a pretty trendy winner pick. I'd say I think he's going higher. Yeah, honestly. Okay, so you're all in on Malcolm. I am. Yeah, I am. So number four and five, also a tie. Hi. And we have our good old boys. So this is JT and Caleb. Hmm. So what the hell is beast mode doing there? <laughs> like, honestly, Caleb won't know what friggin' hit him. Like what was a fleeting fascination with the game of survivors going to like quickly turn into the tsunami of what the hell just happened. Okay. So, so you think that the system is way off here with Caleb at uh top five for a returnee season. Yeah. I mean, for 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 Caleb coming back based on like he didn't even finish his first season. Yeah. Like I was so I was so sad to see his medevac um because he was doing so well. But here he is a minnow among sharks. Like Caleb, buddy, you had your chance and you blew it over salt and pepper. That's just the way it is. Yeah, but I think that's a little unfair, Angie, because I mean, go back to Survivor Cambodia and look at Keith Nail sitting there at the final five. So I think that you can't say that Caleb, it's impossible he gets this far based on that he doesn't know too much about the game. I think that sometimes that's a help that who's coming after him? Who's targeting him? Well, that's true. I mean, the previous good old boys that uh, that did well in this in the returning seasons are Keith and, and Big Tom got pretty far as well. And it's for the it's the same kind of reason. And but, Colby's not this uh, archetype. No, he's a uh, John McClain. OK, I don't think uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of people are targeting him. But again, I just I don't see people that don't know the game are unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Like, and you mentioned it just earlier. He's like, I don't know why Tony and Sandra are game changers. It's like, uh, I wouldn't want that in my alliance. Like you you want someone that is, um, dependable, like, like Keith and big Tom, but someone who understands the moves that you're making and why you're making them and isn't suddenly going to go rogue. Cause he doesn't understand something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, that was my problem with Keith. Like Keith was to be a, a massive wild card. Why would anyone want their, uh, their fate in the game relying on him doing what he's told, you know? Yeah. I just can't even see a scenario where Caleb gets voted out of the game pre-merge. Oh, I think he's definitely, I mean, I have him at four and five here. Right? Mm-hmm. I think, I think he's going deep into the game. I just, I don't see him winning. No, it's impossible to imagine a scenario where he wins, but it's also uh, very difficult to imagine a scenario where he gets voted out before the merge. I'd like to think so. I think he, I'd like to see him get get further. I thought mm-hmm. he did. I thought he did really well and I thought he deserved it. And I think he's fun to watch as well. Um, and you're right. He's not going to be a threat to anybody. Maybe, maybe in the challenges, but again, like 
who's considered a, you know, a, an athletic person in big brother is not the same thing as an athletic person in survivor. The, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the competition in, in big brother is generally a little weaker on the physical side. How dare right? you? How dare you? <laughs> okay. So as for JT, I think he's got a shot at doing better than he did in heroes versus villains and finishing top five for sure. But I don't know if he has the chops to outmaneuver these, these players. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get close to the end though. Like yeah. good old boys do extremely well, both in new and returnee seasons. Um, and a good old boys never won as a returning player uh, season. But I mean, is everyone going to be so busy waiting to see who will win between Tony and Sandra and in, in the showdown that JT will like Adam Klein it right through the middle? Who knows? The JT thing is so interesting. And again, I had listened to all of uh, TEOS uh, chapter 20 and just the uh, the lessons that JT potentially might have learned uh, from that season combined with token chains. You have to think he's got a great shot in this game. There's a lot of people who you would think would want to work with him. Uh I could certainly see JT uh, in this area. Yeah. No, I, t- I think JT's going far for sure. Yeah. For sure. Really good shot. Okay. You ready for, num- for number three? Yes. Okay. So in number three, we have our secretly smart bikini babe, Haley Ford. All right. It's times like this that I want to make up the results instead of saying <laughs> what the system says out loud. So let's just all, bl- uh, we, we can blame Amanda for this. There are, <laughs> Amanda Kimmel? Yeah, there are only two previous Secretly Smart Bikini Babe showings, and it was Amanda both times. So this is why uh, that result is so high. Do I think that Haley will finish top three? Not in a million years. But um, keep in mind why this character type does so well on returnee seasons. Well, by this character type, I mean Amanda. It's the player you take to the end because you don't think they will try and overthrow you. And I think Haley provides that for sure. Like like Amanda, um, she's good at bonding with women, which this character type often struggles with. Mm-hmm. She, To her credit, she has a high EQ as well as IQ. I think she could potentially re- read the group very well, keep her head above water. I mean, who knows? We don't know. We don't know, Rob. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, I'm much more bullish on fan favorite Sierra Dawn Thomas than uh, Haley for the season. So I, I ha- would be very hard pressed to imagine a scenario where Haley gets this far into the game. I wouldn't be shocked if she was the first one gone, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I know she has been okay in the challenges, but I think that that's really what I think she needs to watch out for. I could see her being a pre-merge boot just by, based on a tribe saying, okay, well, we can get rid of her and it's not going to hurt us in the challenges. Yeah. I mean, there are so many athletic women playing this season and Haley, like, like you said, like, what does she bring? What does she bring? And I do feel like that Sierra at least um, has a better understanding of I need to like try to suck up to people and have a social game as opposed to Haley. I just kind of feel like he's on her own planet. Yeah. And not Rob has a planet. (laughs) No, it would be okay if it was Rob has a planet. Yeah. But uh, I don't see Haley like sucking up to people she doesn't like where Sierra Don Thomas, I almost feel like that that's her greatest attribute. Yeah. No, she's super easygoing. She just goes with whatever, right? Yeah, I think so. So, okay, Haley Ford, uh, top three. Uh, we'll see. Perhaps an adjustment coming to the rankings uh, after the season plays out. Um, undoubtedly. I'm sure that that <laughs> right? Good. More data. Yeah, more data. Okay. Um, okay. Now, okay. So, so now, now. The system uh, has a very 
rosy perspective on the season because there are two names left that we have not mentioned. That is Sandra and that is Sari. Angie, have you replaced the system with your fan fiction for Survivor Game Changers? <laughs> I wish. The two most likely winners are Sandra and Sari. There's a reason why the Mommy Dearest always finishes at the top of any um, of any character type system, either returning or new player. And it's because the Mommy Dearest is always there at the end. And that doesn't change in the returning season. Mm-hmm. So the likelihood of finishing with the highest placement by character type is the mommy dearest. Okay. And these two are the two best, most successful examples of this character type. Yeah. Which is extremely exciting for me to watch. So they're both, they're proactive, they're social and they're cutthroat. They don't rely on reassurances or pity or getting in with a with an alliance to get to the end. They strategize. They connive. They put a plan together. They tell only who needs to know, and then they ex- execute that plan. So if either of these two awesome ladies win, I will consider it a successful season. But there are three giant targets going into this season, and they are two of them. So that means they're really going to have to pull out every single trick and hope that Tony makes way more noise and throws everyone off their scent. So... The system does say they're going deep in the game. They have finished top three as a character type. They've finished top three in every single returnee season, except for one when Sari was targeted early for finishing top three the previous returnee season. Mm -hmm. So she's never won. And I'm hoping the players will leave her alone for God's sake. (laughs) People need a Sari win. We need it. Yeah. Sandra uh, certainly is helped by her own uh, returnee season where Mm -hmm. uh, she ended up uh, winning in Heroes versus Villains as well. Mm -hmm. They do extremely well. Dawn finished in the finals. Like, they do extremely well. If you had to pick between Sandra and Sari, who would you have in the horse race? Sari. Sari. You feel like Sari's going to go further than Sandra? How stupid would these players need to be for Sandra to win a third time? Mm. She is extremely good at ducking and weaving, but my God, I mean, that is a real long shot. Like, I can't imagine these players letting her stay in there long enough to actually have a shot at it because she could do it again. She's just that good. So, and I think they know that. I think though that Suri somehow is more feared than Sandra, even though Sandra has won twice. That's why Sandra still has a shot. I love that about her. Like, how crazy would that be? Yeah. Oh, my God. If she won a third time, I would die. So, okay. So, as for my winner pick, actually, uh, neither of those uh, women are my winner pick. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Because I, for the reason that they're both, like, going into this, there's they have such huge targets. I, I can't see either one of them being allowed to get anywhere near the end. I mean, I want it so bad to happen, but I don't think it will. Okay. Um. So, as for the system, you know, I was saying in the beginning that the system uh, – the system rankings work in two different views. There's the ranking order, meaning um, most likely to, to to place based on their average placement in past seasons. But there's also a win rate. So out of out of players that have played returnee seasons and won, how many of which character type have done that? So what is the likelihood of them winning again? Because it shows it shows potential. You know, if Secretly Smart Bikini Babe has never won and she hasn't won any season ever, then it's less likely, even if the system says, but, you know, on average, they finish third. I'm still not going to say she's going to win. That's an example. So I found it most accurate to use the ranking order for the overall prediction. But then I take the top five players that have the highest win rate and I choose from among them to to make a winner pick. So So out of Caleb, JT, Haley, 
Suri and Sandra, you have a winner pick? Um, it's not even those people. Okay. It's, keep in mind, it's it's character types that have won in the past. So sometimes that really upsets the the finish rate. So based on the win rate, there are five players most likely to win in the following order. So first is Sandra, then Suri, then it's Zeke. So my money would be on Zeke if it weren't for the two things that nobody knows him. And he hasn't had a chance uh, to really study his his first season and get a sense of what he did right and wrong. I think that's going to work against him as well. His intricate knowledge of the game will serve him well, but I think he'll and I think he'll get pretty far. But ultimately, I don't think when uh, I don't think Zeke's going to take it this time. Next one is Ozzy. So again, I mean, we already discussed that. Maybe, maybe if he gets to the end without pissing anyone off, he'll have a shot. But my money's not in him. Final one. This is my winner pick. Not so unique pick for the season is Malcolm. That's your winner pick. Yes. So okay. John McClain's do extremely well in the returnee season. So I think he could really pull pull it off. Um, Would be exciting. I think so, too. And as long as, you know, like as long as no one is going to be targeting like the way Stephen went after Joe, um, I think he'll be OK. And and this character type generally isn't highly targeted. Um, he has the relationships now that he didn't have in Caramoan. And I think overall, John McLean is a super solid choice. Like, keep in mind, like, they've got a really high win rate even bef- even without counting Boston Rob's win. Because Boston Rob, uh, Redemption Island isn't considered a returnee season because it's just him and Russell. So the li- when you add Boston Rob in there, the likelihood jumps way up. Like, it's the same as the mommy dearest in terms of their ability to win when they come back. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think, as you said, is extremely trendy, but um, this, the system says Malcolm's got a really, really solid chance. Okay. All right. From your lips to God's ears for Mal. We'll see <laughs> what happens. Would, that would be really cool. I would love to see Malcolm win too. Or Zeke. I mean, there's so many of these players that I absolutely love. I would, I'm just very, very, I'm looking forward to it. Not to be wishy-washy, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to not be heartbroken no matter what happens. Okay. So. Well, we will be seeing the first two hours of Survivor Game Changers coming up this Wednesday night. Myself and Stephen Fishback will be there with our first Survivor Know-It-Alls of the season. I think that we will be a little bit delayed. I believe that Stephen Fishback is entertaining at his house. So I think that right now we are scheduled to go on. Uh, the episode is going to end at 10. I think we're going to go on at 11 Eastern. So I know that's kind of late. Don't worry. The audio podcast will be there for you uh, whenever you're ready to go to work on Thursday. But uh, that's our schedule for Wednesday night. And then I'll have the double exit interview on Thursday. Two of the game changers will be joining me, the one and two. And then I will talk to the first boot from Survivor Cambodia. Vetus is going to join me on the recap. And then we also have Chaos Cast on the voicemails, all in your week one of Survivor Game Changers. There's a lot there, Angie. That sounds awesome. Jam-packed week. Jam-packed. Wow. That's gonna be uh, that's gonna be worth it. That's gonna be worth the wait. It'll be worth it. Okay. Angie, uh, so could you just talk real quick about some of the other things you're working on with improving this system, uh, That this uh, massive undertaking that you're working on? It is massive. It started out being a, um, I, it started out being a little bit small, I, I suppose, in my mind. And then um, as it just started to unfold, it just got bigger and bigger. And now it's at the, at the stage where we've decided as a group that uh, we would rather do it right than do it quickly. So essentially, I mean, the last podcast that uh, I announced that we had a team of people who are working on um, system 2.0 of the cons types. 
And this system breaks down specific behaviors exhibited by every player in every episode in order to try and potentially find correlations. So this is so we can gain like a more nuanced view of the kind of behaviors that are successful and unsuccessful in a survivor player. And hopefully we'll be able to judge how a player is doing in this as the season progresses in a useful way. And the system potentially will serve as a more accurate uh, predictive tool. Since then, Amanda Rabinowitz has joined Sean Falconer and our team of like data nerds um, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) helped us uh, build like this new super system. About 50 volunteers have come forward offering to rewatch old systems, uh, old seasons and track the behavior of each player in each episode. And we are extending the project to the summer and we're doing that to make sure that we have as many, we're calling them coders, as many coders as possible doing every single season. And we're doing that so that it uh, it limits the subjectivity of a single coder. So if we have at least five people say, or 10 people doing every season, then we can pick the average result of that. And that's a really solid result. So I'm going to hopefully put a, a sign-up sheet on the podcast as a link on the podcast page, if that's okay with you. Sounds good Rob. to me. Yeah. So, and there's instructions in there about what's in, what's involved. It's very, very easy to do. It's actually really fun. And you see new things in the season that you didn't see before when you rewatch it and you, and you code it. Essentially, you're just saying yes or no under columns, under the players on, uh, on every single episode. And it's really fascinating seeing what behaviors emerge over and over and over for certain players. And you really start to realize who's a strong player and who really wasn't, which is uh, which is really fascinating as well. Okay. So, yes, if we can have some more volunteers to do that, that would be totally amazing. That would be really amazing because it it is a bit of a time commitment. So we want to have as many people as possible in case in case something comes up because life comes up and sometimes people start and they can't finish or what have you. Mm -hmm. I've also updated the spreadsheet. That everybody loves, and I'll provide a link to that on the page as well. So this is a Google Sheet that includes multiple tabs this time. So it shows all of the seasons and the character type data on all the seasons and a rolled up view of all the seasons as well as the returnee only version. And I also have a uh, final five analysis, which is really interesting, showing the character types that are most likely to finish in the in the final five and who they're aligned with when they do that. Okay, well, Angie... Always a treat to go through all of this with you. Uh, I know that the listeners uh, mostly appreciate it as well. You can't please everybody. <laughs> oh, and I wanted to add, Sean Falconer has also updated the constypes.com website to include the latest data from the last season. Wait, and we have a website, constypes.com? Yeah, yeah, he went, uh, yeah, he went wrong. How did we not lead with day. that? It's pretty big, right? Yeah. It's really fun. It's a great tool for anyone who follows the system and wants to just quickly sort players by character type and performance. Do I have the right it, it does it address? Constypes.com? You might need to put a www in there. Oh, wow. This is fantastic. It's very good. I'm, I'm, I, as I said, I never saw any of this coming. I'm, it's very, it's really, really fun. It's really fun. And I'm very excited about the new version of the system. Even for people that is not a fan of the character type system, this goes well beyond it because we're really, we're really detailing personality traits of players. It ha, you know, it has very little to do potentially with just what character type they are. Yeah. It could really, it could really draw a lot of light to, uh, to the game itself. I need to update the Alex Angarita entry. What do you want to update? To? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I gotta think of some information to add to that. <laughs> okay. All right. Angie, uh, great stuff. Of course, you can follow Angie on Twitter. She's at Angie Cons on uh, Twitter. Are, are you? Do you live tweet the episode? What do you do? You wait until uh, DVR? Um, I do live tweet it. Yes, I watch it on. I watch it on global on global and. 
when I when I have something uh, witty to say, then I say it. I'm a little bit like Cochrane. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy, and sometimes I'm like, not funny enough, not funny enough. Delete. So I, yeah, I keep that to myself sometimes, but. Okay, well, Angie, uh, thank you uh, once again. Uh, so we've got the big Survivor Know-It-All's premiere recap coming to you guys uh, late Wednesday night. So be on the lookout for that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the fun. Rob has a website.com slash iTunes. Uh, thanks again to our sponsor for this episode of the podcast, Movement Watches. Check them out at MVMTWatches.com. Use promo code RHAP for 15% off of your order there. And uh, looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.